Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me, if you would, again to Luke, the first chapter, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're continuing on this theme that we started on the Sunday following Thanksgiving. And so in Luke 1, verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, like we pointed out, a better rendering of this is those things which are most surely believed among us. He said, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. We pointed out how important it is for us to know the certainty of the things uh, in which we're instructed, to know the certainty of the things which are surely believed among us. And then we talked about the fact that it's, it's important to know what we believe, but it's also important to have what we believe. If we say we believe in certain biblical truths and certain biblical experiences, then we ought to have those things among us. Amen. We ought to see those things in our lives. We ought to see those things in the life of the church. And so it's important that, that we, like Jude said, that we contend for the faith, contend for these things, stand for these things. Amen. Fight for these things. To be determined to lay hold of everything that God has for us. Amen. Glory to God. So one of the most fundamental things that we have that belongs to us as Christians is the blessed Holy Spirit of God living in us and also anointing us to fulfill God's plan and purpose in our lives and in our ministries, amen? It cannot be overemphasized uh, uh, over how important the Holy Spirit is in our everyday life. You just cannot overemphasize the importance of the Spirit. We pointed out that in regards to the work of the Holy Spirit, there are two basic uh, camps, if you will, or two separate positions in the body of Christ. And one could be termed cessationism and the other one is continuationism. Cessationists, of course, are those who believe that miracles, signs, and wonders have ceased. And in that category of miracle signs and wonders, they often referred to uh, the, the sign, what they call the sign gifts, and many of the gifts of the Spirit are signs. And uh, so they refer to the sign gifts, and they refer to anything that is of a miraculous nature, anything that is outside the, of the realm of logic or reason or ordinary circumstances or ordinary happenings, that, that uh, those things no longer Go on. In other words, God's not doing miracles. He's not performing miracles. He's not healing the sick. He's not setting people free. He's not working wonders and miracles among his people. And of course, speaking with other tongues because uh, all of those things that I've mentioned, the, the realm of the miraculous, the practice of the miraculous and the supernatural, 
all have to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, people that are cessationists, they, they say that uh, God is not uh, filling people with the Holy Spirit today in the sense that the Bible teaches and uh, people speaking with other tongues and, and all of those things. You know, to, to sort of, uh, now let me just, so I won't say it, so I won't forget to say it. On the other side of that is continuationists like us. We believe that all of these things that were started are continuing. That it is God's plan that they continue. There's nothing in the word of God that would say or, or to give us any uh, idea that they are to cease before Jesus returns. And these things are for the church. And so continuationists like us, we believe in the full ministry of the spirit. Everything that the early church have, we have. Because there isn't, you know, a lot of people, have, they talk about quote unquote the early church as if the early church was a separate or a different church than the modern church. There's only one church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's made up of all believers from the day Jesus was raised from the dead and someone first looked at him and realized that he had been raised from the dead and believed on him and were born again up until the time Jesus comes and catches away the church and we go to heaven. All of the people involved in all of these centuries is just one church. And so there's no such thing as an early church and a, and a later church. It's just the church, the body of Christ. Sometimes we identify uh, the first century of the church as a, you know, as a, uh, just a, a, a period of time because we have a picture in the epistles of things that went on in that first century. Well, God gave us a picture of that first century as a template and an example uh, for what should follow after that. Amen. And so, uh, you know, reading up on, on some of the, uh, not because I didn't know it, but just to kind of refresh my memory and, 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 and uh, re-examine uh, what scriptures people use to explain away everything. And I was reading this book last night, you know, on, on that, uh, uh, that says, you know, these things have all passed away. And, um, and this author was talking about uh, charismatics and how, how outlandish charismatics are and the things we believe God is doing today. <clears throat> and uh, this man went on to write about, you know, all of the crazy things that, that God is supposedly doing. You know, people are being healed by the multitudes and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, people having their needs met. God blessed me, you know, with, with uh, uh, you know, with food or he did one thing or another, you know, miraculous things. And he was, he was talking, and you know, if you just read that, if you don't read anything else but read that book, you begin to say, yeah, that's kind of outlandish. I mean, people think that God would do all of these extraordinary things just for a little old person like you or me, that God would be interested in that. And I thought, that is, yeah, that is ridiculous. Can you imagine anybody being as ridiculous as to believe that, that God told them to go down to the river and when it was tax time and to pull a fish out of the water and there'd be a, there'd be a, 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 a coin in the fishes. But can you believe somebody saying that? Can you believe anybody believing that? Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't have my taxes, you know, and God told me to go to the river and fish and, and take the first fish and there'd be a coin in his mouth. Oh boy, that's a big one. Can you imagine? I was I was talking to a bunch of Christians the other day, and they said they, they said they went to a meeting, and and they were just all gathered there, for, and they'd run out of food, and nobody had any food, and and the preacher found one guy there had a lunch bag, 
you know, with a few loaves, a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish. And, and the preacher took that and, and fed thousands of people. My Lord, my Lord, people have lost their minds. My point is, how outlandish are the miracles of the Bible? You'd be hard pressed to come up with something greater than what we've seen in the scriptures. Isn't that right? So this person was just going on and on about how ridiculous. And I thought to myself, Doesn't it, that sounds like perfect company with the scriptures to me. Sounds just like something Jesus would do. Amen. And so last week we talked about the fact that if Jesus is alive, then he's still doing what he did before. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, the modernists, I talked about modernists last week, and the modernists back in the 1960s, there was a real controversy and a real scandal in the church because modern theologian, theologians had begun to uh, float this concept that God was dead. That God, you know, he wasn't doing anything anymore. He was dead. And so the, the magazines of the day, if you, how many of you remember that back in the 60s? They put out articles, you know, is God dead? The modern church says God is dead. Well, you know, there was such an outcry against that. There was such a, a, a pushback Oh, that's ridiculous. How can Christians say God is dead? And so in, in the, in the uh, majority of the church, the majority of the church pushed back against that and everyone began to preach God is alive. He's not dead, he's the same, he's alive. But you know what? The, the same thing is really being said today, only they're not saying God's dead, they're just saying that he's asleep. In other words, he's there, but he doesn't do anything he doesn't really answer prayer except in the most abstract sense that you pray and uh, about things in life and then whatever happens is God's answer. Yes, you asked for God to bless you a certain way and none of that happened. In fact, the exact opposite happened, but you see, God answered your prayer because he knew you didn't need that good thing and so he gave you that bad thing because he knew that was what was best for you. You might as well say God's dead. All of that is, is an excuse to explain away unanswered prayer. Amen. How in the world, you know, people came to Jesus with specific requests. He said, what is it you want me to do for you? He said, the blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. So Jesus sent him on his way and said, stay blind, but be good about it. My son, go your way and I'll give you grace to be a good blind man. Did he ever do that? That's what the modern church says. And they say God is alive. Well, to me, they're, they're, really, they're really saying God is dead, but they just don't want to say it. No, God is not, he's not dead. He's not asleep. He hasn't changed. His will hasn't changed. His plan hasn't changed. His goodness hasn't uh, passed away. His mercies are still enduring. He's still the same miracle-working, loving God he always was. And if he healed the blind man then, he'll heal the blind man today. Amen? Amen. And he's no respecter of persons. 
I had a, I had a great phone call from uh, Christopher Allen on, uh, was it yesterday morning? He called, he's over in, in Burma and he called me and we, we have this app, it's, a, it's called WhatsApp, you know, so it's a free call. And, and so he, he called me on WhatsApp and uh, he said, hey, you know, just talking, you know, because we're good friends, we talk all the time like that. He said, I tell you about the, what just happened. And he said, I tell you about that. I said, no. He said he was in his crusade. It was, I think it was the last night or the next to the last night of this crusade. He just closed down. And he said, uh, God had healed all these people. He said, and during the altar call, he said, there was, there was this outstandingly beautiful woman in the, in out, come down to the front you know, to receive the Lord Jesus. And he said she was very attractive. He said, I mean, you couldn't help but notice. She said she was in her 40s. She said just a, just a stunningly attractive woman. And uh, she came forward to, you know, to, to, to receive Jesus. Well, later, when they asked for people to come up to testify uh, for being healed, she came up because God had opened her ear. One of her ears were deaf and God had opened her ear. So she'd come up on the platform. We've been there many times with Christopher, you know, and they're, they're standing, you know, and waiting in the wings. And, and uh, Christopher was standing there and this woman standing next to him and she, she leaned over and whispered something in, a, in his ear. And when she did, he said, she had this deep, gravelly voice. She was a man. She was a transvestite. And Christopher told me, he said, he said, brother, he said, you know me, I'm, I'm rarely at a loss for words. He said, but I was so stunned, I was speechless. He, I, he, I, he said, I didn't know what to say. I just said, uh, uh, uh. So we had this big laugh about it, you know. And so we laughed, you know, and, and I said, well, well, did you have her testify? He said, yeah, he said, I had her testify, but I didn't let her talk very long just to give a real brief testimony. He said, but when she stepped up to the microphone to give her testimony, she, he, stepped up to the microphone to give her testimony, as soon as she opened her mouth and started talking in this real gravelly, masculine voice, the whole crowd started laughing. They all knew she was a guy. And, and we said, well, why am I saying this? God is still the merciful God today that he's always been. Remember the woman that was taken in adultery? Jesus said, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. Well, I don't know because I don't know what happened, but I fully expect her to come have come back to the meeting as a him the next day. Now you say God is merciful, but remember that doesn't mean if you're if you're committing adultery or you're living in adultery, it's okay. Jesus said, "I don't commit, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more." If you're not gonna, if you're gonna go and continue sinning, you're gonna stay in condemnation. Everybody understand that? But He's merciful to people who want to change. And he's no respecter of persons. So I said that just to illustrate that he's the same today as he ever has been. Glory to God. He's just as merciful to the sinner. He's just as merciful to the sick. He's just as merciful to the hungry. He's just as merciful to those who have financial needs. He's the same today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, there, there, are, there are, like I said, uh, there's the cessationists and they don't believe that the things of the spirit that we talk about today are real. And so the big, the big argument, the big stumbling block is the speaking with other tongues. That's the big deal that cessationists just cannot get around. And, uh, uh, and so people say, well, you know, you, you Pentecostals are always talking about it. it well, it's because it's the, big, it's the big problem everybody seems to have. 
What about speaking with other tongues? Do you say, well, pastor, we all believe this, but you know, there, there are people here that, that still need to know, still aren't convinced, still need to understand the truth. Amen. And, uh, you know, and so the cessationists, they, they basically say that speaking in tongues is foolish. It's just ignorance. It's nothing more than a static gibberish. It's fanatical. And I read all these arguments in this book last night. It's just, it's just a weird psychological phenomenon. It's, it's merely a learned experience. There's nothing to it. And in, 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 in the worst of the, of the uh, accusations is that speaking in tongues is of the devil. And most people today won't say that because there are too many people they know that speak with tongues and who obviously are not of the devil. But uh, all of these other things, you know, they say, well, there's one big problem with that. There's one big problem with believing that tongues is of the devil or they're foolish and they're, you know, ignorant and there's nothing to it and it's just a learned experience. There's one big problem with that and that is that none other than Jesus prescribed speaking with tongues. Go with me to, to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. In verse 15, now this is, there are three accounts of the Great Commission. One is in Matthew 28, one is in Mark 16, one is in Luke 24. The three different locations where it's recorded, uh, the record is given of what Jesus said uh, concerning the commission of the church and what the church was supposed to do. In, math, in Mark's account here, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now that's another biggie. I mean, if you start talking about casting out demons, do you, you know, the, the people who didn't leave over the tongues, they'll certainly leave over the demons. <laughs> Dear Lord, do you mean to believe that you mean to say that you believe that there are demon spirits, that demons exist? Well, evidently, the Son of God believed it. If you've ever read the Gospels, you know Jesus cast demons out of people. And when the demon came out, the person was delivered and set free. Amen. Well, you know, those are, that's just psychology and really. If you were a psychologist and in a few minutes time, you could get someone who ran around in the woods naked cutting himself with stones and, and screaming out like a total madman. In a few minutes time, you could get him completely set free, healed, restored, in his right mind, a perfectly normal people. The world wouldn't contain enough money for your, for your services. Isn't that right? That can't be explained away by psychology. Amen. It says, in, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now remember, Jesus just said, these signs will accompany those who believe. And in verse latter part of verse 20, it says that, that uh, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through the accompanying signs. So you, you cannot take a position that tongues are invalid or they're not real or they're just uh, craziness or extremism or fanaticism or just you know some kind of made up something. You, you can't just dismiss something that Jesus prescribed. Notice Jesus didn't just predict his followers would speak with tongues. He prescribed he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany the believing ones. And then in, in verse 20, it says, they went out and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with the accompanying signs. What signs? These signs right here. So you have a big problem if you want to dismiss the, the validity of speaking with other tongues because the, the chief proponent of speaking with other tongues is none other than the Lord Jesus. He's the one that introduced it. He's the one that, that not just predicted it, but prescribed it, amen? Now, if you go over to Acts chapter one, go with me to Acts chapter one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, let's go to, let's, just to save time, let's go to chapter two. Acts chapter two. You know what happened on the day of Pentecost? Verse four says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now again, it, this is Bible. On, on the day of Pentecost, did, did, did they, were they filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues? Was it of God or was it something made up? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't something, it, it can't be explained away any other way other than Jesus prescribed it and it happened and it's the will of God. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now drop down to verse number 14. But Peter, Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Sounds like Peter's trying to get their attention and he wants them to understand something and believe what he's about to say. Isn't that right? He said, I want all of you to hear he raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. These are the things most surely believed among us. He said, let this be known to you and heed my words. See, today people need to heed the word of God and not what modern tradition says. 
People need to give heed to the word of God, not what they've heard somebody say about the word of God. Well, you hear people say, well, my, you know, my daddy or my granny, my, you know, my this person or that person, they always said this. Well, that's wonderful as long as that's what God said. As long as it's what God said, that's good. But if it's not, God bless your mama and your grandmama. I'm sure she was sweet and wonderful and all of that. But if what she said wasn't according to the word of God, she was just mistaken. I had grandparents and they were wonderful grandparents. But they weren't always right about everything. I remember one thing my granddaddy on my mom's side, he used to always say, he didn't believe, and I'm gonna say this for a reason today. He, he said, he said, I don't believe Jesus had a beard. Can you see all the pictures of Jesus with a beard? He said, I don't believe Jesus had a beard because beards are nasty. He said, they're not clean. And the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Strike number two. <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness. I mean, I heard that growing up. I thought that was in Hemekiah somewhere or something, you know. <laughs> Found out that wasn't even in the Bible. But he said Jesus didn't have a beard because, because Jesus would not have been unclean. Well, I, I appreciate my granddaddy. He was a wonderful man. But, you know, soap and water does miracles. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And besides that, it says that, that they, they plucked Jesus' beard out. Suppose they use, use tweezers, what do you think? It means he had a beard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right? So, you know, my, my grandparents were wonderful people, but they weren't always right about everything, amen? No, we need to give heed to the word of God. For these, he said, verse 15, are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This what? This speaking with other tongues, that's what he was talking about. Notice that, that the people, when this happened, the people there in Jerusalem all gathered around and, and it says in verse seven, they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it we hear each one our own language in which we were born, so forth, names all these different places. But notice in verse number 12 and 13, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. You know, you can, you can choose to be in either camp. You can be in those who want to know more, or you can be in the camp of those who mock. There have always been mockers. There always will be mockers. The mocking didn't, start, didn't stop the first century church. Amen. The mockers didn't stop Peter and James and John and Paul and all of those. And, and, and the mockers won't, won't stop people of God today. So people mocked, but that's all right. So Peter said, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my men servant and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Peter said speaking with tongues 
is a fulfillment of a prophecy of the prophet Joel about the last days. This same writer that I was reading, he said, you know, since speaking with tongues seemed to have passed away, he said, he said it did pass away, but then he, he identified several different people or groups down through the history of the church who spoke with other tongues. Of course, he discredited each one of them. But he said, why in the world, if it passed away, why would it resurge, you know, be a resurgence of it you know, in the 20th century? Well, because it's a prophecy concerning the last days. This is what was spoken of the, by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. Speaking with other tongues is one of the major prophecies fulfilled before, uh, for the last days that will come to pass just before Jesus comes back again. Amen. Amen. So again, you can't just discount something that is expressly a fulfillment of prophecy. Number three, it was the normal common practice of the entire so-called early church, the church of the first century. It was the normal common experience, I should say, not practice, but experience of the entire church. Notice on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. And then you have Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. You have it occurring again and again and again and again. Everywhere the gospel went and every time it broke out to a new group, it was accompanied by speaking with other tongues. So speaking with other tongues was the common, ordinary experience of believers in the first century. Amen. It also, in the New Testament, speaking with other tongues always had a positive, beneficial effect on those who experienced it. And so I said, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, speaking with other tongues always had a positive and beneficial effect upon all who experienced it. Was it beneficial here on the day of Pentecost? Did it have a positive effect upon them? Yes, it did. It got the attention of all of Jerusalem. Paul said that when you pray in other tongues, you edify yourself. That's a pretty positive benefit. Now, I know the argument that comes up immediately in somebody's mind. They'll say, but wait a minute. It didn't always have a positive effect on everybody. What about the church at Corinth? What about, what about Acts, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, where Paul, you know, talked about how, how uh, bad tongues were. Well, there was, there was a misuse of tongues in the assembly there at Corinth. And he dealt with the misuse of tongues, but he didn't say tongues were bad. In fact, he said, I thank my God, Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I'm thankful to God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And if you, and if you look in the original Greek, it, it means all of you put together. So it's, it's not reasonable to believe that Paul was chastising them about speaking with tongues in general when he said, I speak with tongues even more than all of you put together. Not only that, go over to 1 
1 Corinthians with me and go to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. So the big issue that people point to was this, was this matter of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance in the church at Corinth. <clears throat> Remember Acts chapter two, we read a little earlier, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them, everybody say, utterance. In 1 Corinthians one, beginning in verse four, he said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now he's talking to the church at Corinth. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed, everybody say, I don't like to do this too often, but there's a reason. Everybody say confirmed. confirmed. <laughs> utterance, confirmed. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, or like the margin says, among you, so that you come short in no gift. Of course, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice I had you say confirmed in verse number six. He said that you've been enriched by him, that is by Jesus, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Hold your place and go back to Mark 16, where we were. The problem with some people is they just don't look at the Bible enough. They have their little things they believe and they, and they spend more time uh, rehearsing what they believe than what the Bible says. Mark 16, verse number 17, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons that one of the things is they will speak with new tongues. Notice verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and what? Confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, it's talking about that not just tongues, but the laying hands on the sick and all of the sign gifts were there and they confirmed the testimony of God in them so that they came short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, people say, well, all of that's passed away. Well, hold on a minute, we'll deal with that later because it hasn't. But for those of you who like to say, well, that was true back then, but it's not true any longer. See, the, the cessationists believe that all of the miraculous and the things of the Spirit and all the things we're talked about, they all ceased when the last of the original apostles, you know, the 13, uh, 12 apostles, you know, there was, uh, Judas was replaced by Matthias. And so that 12, those 12 apostles, when those 12 apostles passed away, when the last one <gasps> took his last gasping breath, <laughs> then all of the gifts of the Spirit and all the miracles ceased. But notice verse number eight. Who will also confirm you to the end? Well, if the confirmation he's talking about is the same confirmation that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, 
The Lord worked with them confirming the word. If that's what he's talking about here, and I, and I, and I, uh, uh, I challenge anybody to, sh- to show me what else that the Bible talks about is confirmation. That's what the Bible speaks of, of confirmation of the gospel is through the sign gifts who will also confirm you till the last of the first apostles takes his last gasping breath. Is that what it says? To the end. To the end has the end come. No, it's coming, but it hasn't come yet. Who will also confirm you to the end. Now, I said all of that to confirm what I said. My last point was it had a beneficial and positive effect even on the church at Corinth, though they still might have had some misuse and Paul had to correct the misuse, it still had a positive and beneficial effect. He said right here it did. They were enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge. The knowledge there, that's talking about the revelation gifts. They were enriched by these things. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. If you, if you go through the, the book of Ephesians and, and, and Galatians, where in Galatians, Paul talked about those who ministered the spirit to them. Well, you know, he was talking about people who were already saved, but then he was talking about people who had come and ministered the spirit to them. Well, that had to have been a positive thing because he presented it as a positive thing. In Ephesians, you know, the apostle Paul said, praying always with all kinds of prayer and at all opportunities, pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Spirit. Amen. Thessalonians. He said, do not forbid prophecy. Do not despise prophesying. Now, he didn't specifically mention tongues, but you know as well as I do that any place prophesying is going on, speaking with tongues are going on. Isn't that right? People aren't prophesying if they're not also speaking with other tongues. Remember what happened in Acts chapter 19? Paul laid his hands on those, on those 12 believers there and it says they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. Prophesying goes along with it. Amen. In Jude, he says, my beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, but don't ever pray in the Holy Ghost. Is that what he said? No. He said, build yourself up on your holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. So again, my point is that throughout the New Testament, it always had a positive, beneficial effect on those who experienced it. Even though some people might have misused it, there was nothing wrong with the tongues itself. They just had to be regulated. Amen? Well, there are many spiritual benefits to speaking in tongues. That's point number five, but we don't have time to go into all those. And then uh, we'll stop here with six and seven. It is every believer's privilege to be filled with the Spirit. It's every believer's privilege without reading the scripture, but in Acts chapter two, I'll just quote it. Paul, Peter on the day of Pentecost, he said, this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, would that include us today? Would that include the world today? Yes, he's calling everybody today. Amen. And so it's every believer's privilege to be filled with the Holy Spirit 
to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but it's more, number seven, it's more than just a privilege. It's incumbent upon every believer to be baptized with the Spirit and to speak with other tongues. I said it's incumbent upon every believer to be baptized with the Spirit and to speak with other tongues. I'll just read you these scriptures as evidence of that and we'll close. Acts chapter one. These instructions were given to the church and they belong to us. In chapter one, Acts chapter one, verse four, being assembled together with him, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with the spirit, with, excuse me, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Of course, they ask an unrelated question and Jesus brought them back to the point in verse number eight. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice he said, you will... He said, John, verse number five, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we know that just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said these words. These are some of the last words he said. Jesus had been here for 40 days after his resurrection. First Corinthians talks about the fact, and even the Acts of the Apostles talk about the fact that he was here and says he was here for 40 days. And then on the day that he ascended into heaven, he spoke these words and he said, something's gonna happen not many days from now. Well, Acts chapter two says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. How many days did it take for the day of Pentecost to come? 10 days. Because the day of Pentecost is 50 days that Jesus commanded the church to observe. Hallelujah. I, I know I wasn't going to give you any more scripture, but I just got to give you one more. Look at, look at Matthew. Look at Matthew 28. Now, this is Matthew's version of the last, you know, the Great Commission. Verse 18, Jesus came, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Mark said, go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Here it's recorded, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said he would be with us to the end of the age. What age was he talking about? The church age. And he said during the church age, right up to the end, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And we just read in Acts chapter one, he, before he went into heaven, he commanded them to tarry until the Holy Spirit came and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. See, these things have to be defended in these last days. I talked about, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a movement in the church world that purports to be a new wave of the Holy Spirit. 
And, uh, and they've used this term third wave. The first wave being the Pentecostal outpouring, you know, in the first of the 20th century. The second wave being the great charismatic renewal. And then they're the third wave. But the problem is many of the third wavers believe that, it's that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a separate event from salvation. And that speaking with other tongues is not necessary. I wouldn't call that a third wave of the Holy Spirit. I would call that just another gulp of bad doctrine from the cessationists. Amen. You can say you're a people of the Spirit, but if you don't believe in the move of the Spirit. So these things have to be reestablished among us. Amen. We have to know the certainty of the things we believe and not only know the certainty of it, we need to have it. See, I came from a Pentecostal tradition in, in the Pentecostal denomination I came out of. They were Pentecostal, but half of the church membership nationwide, polls were taken way back in the 1970s and half of the membership sitting in the pews would never been, had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They believed in it but they didn't possess it. Now, there were reasons why the theology messed them up because they didn't believe they were qualified. But that's another series of messages altogether. We're, we don't qualify ourselves. He qualifies us. But the point is you can believe something and not experience. You can say you believe something and not have it, but it's powerful. It's, what you believe is not powerful unless you have it. Oh, Hallelujah. God wants us to have everything that's available to us in these, in these last days. In fact, in these last days, we have to have everything that God has made available to us. Especially something that is a fulfillment of, of prophecy concerning the last days. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. If we're gonna be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this critical hour of history where the world seems to be unraveling around us and the threats of the threat of darkness and, and evil and sin and destruction is so evident all around us. If we're gonna be the shining light, we have to, have the, we have to shine with the light of the Spirit. We have to glow with the fire of God. We have to have the fullness of the Spirit. We have to be on fire, church. We have to be on fire. We have to be burning hot with the Holy Ghost. That means we have to have all of the work of the Spirit going on in our lives. Oh, it's so important. Why is speaking in tongues so important? It keeps the fire burning. Glory to God. That's why, that's why when, it, when tongues first came, it was accompanied with tongues of fire. I tell you, there's fire in being full of the Spirit. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.